I love a good snowstorm. I get over it. I love a good snowstorm. And I don't mean a dusting. That's just kind of, I don't know, a waste of time, right? Like if we're going to have winter, I want a good snowstorm. I mean, I want 30 centimeters of snow and a little bit of wind. Shut things down for a couple of days. Everybody at home, you get to rest, you get to read, you, you know, you, you get to spend some time playing some games, just being together. That's great, isn't it? No, no, no. All right. It's not a question. That's great. I love a good snowstorm. But, I mean, there's, there's Newfie blood in these veins. I love snow, and I love a good snowstorm. However, let's not get crazy. I mean, while there might be Newfie blood in these veins, I don't want 103 centimeters like a couple suburbs of St. John's got over the last 10 days. I mean, let's, not, let's not be crazy, right? I mean, I want a good snowstorm, but I don't want it on a Sunday. That, mean, that means we miss being together for worship. I would much rather have it on, say, a Monday, Tuesday, or a Thursday, Friday, and extend the weekend, wouldn't you? A couple days off school, a couple days off work, that never hurt anybody, did it? We would love that. I love a good snowstorm, but I'd also like a little warning. You know, you can get a few extra groceries in, you can make sure there's gas for the snowblower. I want a good snowstorm, but I want everybody to be home first. Driving across Essex County with the wind blowing snow everywhere is a dangerous proposition. I love a good snowstorm, but I have my limits. And I have my preferences. And I would love to be able to set the parameters for that storm. I don't get to, do I? I don't have that kind of power. I'm not in a position to be able to put that storm together. I don't get to decide the timing. I don't get to decide the duration. I don't get to choose the intensity of the storm. I can't even control the level of danger associated with that storm, with the roads and the winds, and that kind of thing. I love a storm, but it's completely out of my hands, isn't it? Many followers of Jesus say, I can hardly wait for Jesus to come back. I am longing for His return. Please, Lord, come. We look around our world. We look at things we struggle with. We look at the whole mess of the whole situation and we say, we know this is in Your hands. Please, Lord, come. We want Jesus to come back. Until, until we open certain parts of our Bibles and and read about the storm that will come with His return. And then we're likely to say, well, just a minute, we didn't mean that. That seems too much. That is shocking. That is frightening. That is, that is just more than what we had hoped or bargained for. It can be confusing. I mean, it will be total and complete in its scope and in its intensity. Many people, even many church people, are offended or afraid when people talk about the coming judgment of God at the return of Jesus. 
Pastor Tim Keller from New York City said that after one of his services, a woman came to him at the door and she said, Pastor, the very idea of a judging God is completely offensive to me. Don't be surprised. That may be cooking under the surface in here as well this morning. Many people find that idea of a judging God offensive. Now, first of all, if you say to me, Steve, I don't believe in a God who, or I would never believe in a God that, you're not telling me anything about God, you're just telling me about yourself. All right, let's be clear. You and I don't get a vote on who God is or what God's like. But his response was interesting. He said to her, really, you find the idea of a judging God offensive? Well, absolutely. He said, well, why is it that you, in your own mind, let's just flip that coin over, why do you not find a forgiving God offensive? Look around the world. Look at the kind of evil that is perpetrated every day. Just turn on your news for 10 minutes. And you'd be okay with stepping into eternity and God saying, oh, you know what? Eh, none of that really matters. All of that stuff, all that stuff you did to each other, all of that, uh, never mind. Let's just, let's just sweep it all under the carpet and we'll all just get along. You wouldn't be offended by that? We're, we know better than that, don't we? Our hearts know better than that because we long for justice. We cry out for justice, we demand justice, and we are angered by injustice, are we not? If we're not, we should be. We look around the world and we are angered by injustice and frustrated by it. Our hearts know better. A Christian theologian from Croatia named Miroslav Volf says that he used to reject the concept of God's wrath. He thought the idea of an angry God was barbaric and completely unworthy of a God of creation and a God of love. How could a God of love and creation also be a God of, of wrath and judgment? He said his heart changed on this issue after his country experienced a brutal war. People committed terrible atrocities against their neighbors and countrymen. Here's what he wrote in his book, Free of Charge. My last resistance to the idea of God's wrath was a casualty of the war in the former Yugoslavia, the region from which I come. According to some estimates, 200,000 people were killed and over 3 million were displaced. My villages and cities were destroyed. My people were shelled day in and day out. Some of them brutalized beyond imagination, and I could not imagine God not being angry. Or I think, he says, of Rwanda in the last decade of the past century, where 800,000 people were brutally murdered in 100 days. How do you think God reacted to that carnage? By doting on the perpetrators in a grandfatherly manner? By refusing to condemn the bloodshed? but instead affirming the, the murderer's basic goodness. Wasn't God fiercely angry with them? Of course He was and is. He says, though I used to complain about the indecency of the idea of God's wrath, the more I mature, the more I study the Bible, and the more I see the world around me, 
the more I think that I would probably rebel against a God who isn't wrathful at the presence and impact of rebellion, sin, and evil in the world around us. We demand justice. We long for justice. The problem is we usually look for justice for them, whoever they may be. (laughs) We see a news story, we say, that person needs some justice. We want justice to prevail in this situation. And so we're unsatisfied here and now when we see the way it kind of falls down sometimes and we see that justice can be ineffective, incomplete, and inconsistent here and now among us. Can't it? We find that frustrating. Why? Because they need justice. But then we ourselves are at times afraid of justice and when it's aimed at us, we want mercy. Suddenly we're big on mercy when we're on the other end. And so at times people are afraid when we speak of God's judgment because when we speak of God's judgment, we all stand guilty. We all stand before the throne of the Almighty where there is no hiding our sin, no hiding our rebellion, and certainly no room for pointing of fingers in a self-righteous smugness at someone else as we stand before Him guilty ourselves. And so people can be offended or afraid and tend to neglect this necessary part of the process and the message. So my challenge to you this morning is this. If you are offended by the notion of the judgment of God, if you are afraid of the notion of the judgment of God, if you are bored by the notion of the judgment of God or skeptical of the reality of the judgment of God, I urge you this morning to just take a deep breath and listen. And listen with your ears and your heart to God's Word. And do not miss what He has for us today. We continue this morning in our series in the book of Revelation. And we've seen that the focus of the book of Revelation is Jesus the Christ. He is the focus of the book. We've seen that the purpose of the book is to strengthen and encourage the church, his followers, living in difficult days in hostile environments. And we began last week to look at the fact that there are four keys to understanding the book of Revelation and life itself. Four keys that we must wrap our heads and our hearts around. The first key we saw last week is the throne of God himself cover to cover through the book of Revelation and in fact through the Scriptures. The throne of God is key number one. But the second key we approach this morning is the key of the storm. The storm. Let's pray together as we come to the Word of God this morning. Father, we need Your wisdom. We need Your Spirit to speak through Your Word into our hearts and our lives today. Whatever our experiences or our expectations, whatever our ideas might be, would you just calm our hearts and our minds and steady us here now? Would you protect us from distraction and would you focus us together on what you have for each of us today and what you have for all of us as a church family as we listen and surrender to your word here today? Speak clearly. 
Help us to hear. And would you draw the impact and the response from each of us and together from all of us that would accomplish your purposes and bring the most honor and glory to you. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. As you turn to Revelation chapter 11, I'll begin to outline for you a little bit about the storm of God's judgment. Revelation chapters 6 to 20, we're going to cover this morning. And we're going to do it this way. We're simply going to remind you that Revelations chapter 6 to 20 outlined for us, for us a series of waves of God's judgment that come upon the earth. There are three distinct waves of judgment that come. The first is called the, the seals, the seal judgments. We find those in Revelation chapter 6 and chapter 8. These seals are, are the, the wax seals, the official royal seals on the large scroll in the throne room of God. The scroll that contains the judgment of God. The scroll where no one else was found who was worthy to open the scroll until the Lamb appeared. Jesus Himself. The One who had been slain. The One who rescued for God a people for His name. And the Lamb is presented in Revelation chapter 5 with the scroll and he, he takes His finger and as He starts in chapter 6 to just slice through each successive seal. Undoing these seals to open the scroll of God's judgments upon creation. With the breaking of each seal, judgment erupts. At the end of these seven seals, they usher in the next wave of judgments, which are referred to as the trumpet judgments. We find those in chapters 8 and 9 and concluding in chapter 11. These are, are judgments that are announced with the, the blasting, the, the, the blowing of these seven trumpets by seven different angels. And these trumpets are the announcement of God's decrees of judgment upon creation. When these trumpets are done, a third and final wave of judgment rolls in. And these are referred to as the bold judgments that we read in Revelation chapter 16. These large bowls poured out upon the earth by these angels at the command of God, unleashing God's judgment and wrath upon creation. We will not this morning read through the details of all three waves of judgments. We will not go step by step and, and recount all of the details of all 21 judgments unleashed upon the earth. But I will point out three things to you. The first is that all three waves of judgments, the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls, begin in the same place. And they begin at the throne of God. They come from, they are initiated right there at the throne of God that we saw last week. You can check it out for yourself. In chapter 6, verse 1, chapter 8, verse 1, chapter 16, verse 1, these waves of judgment come from God upon His throne. The second thing I will point out about these waves of judgment is that as you read through them, and this is why I encouraged you a few weeks ago, if you take the time to just sit and read through the book of Revelation in one sitting, 
probably take you an hour and a half or so. You will get the flow and the, 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 the flow of, of what's going on here and the themes that are there. But one of the things you will notice as you read through these waves of judgment in that manner is your heart and your eyes will be drawn to the increase, the, the progression that's involved, the increasing scope of the judgments and the increasing intensity of the judgments. These progression, this, there is a progression here. They begin bad, and it gets much, much worse. And the third thing I will point out to you this morning is this. That the end of each wave of these judgments unleashed by God, there is a terrible storm. Revelation chapter 8 Verse 5, at the conclusion of the, the seventh seal, we read, Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth, and there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Chapter 11, verse 19. The end of the seventh trumpet says, There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. Chapter 16, beginning at verse 18, with the final, the seventh bowl judgment being poured out, and there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake, such as there never had been since man was on the earth, so great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found, and great hailstones, about a hundred pounds each, fell from heaven on people, and they cursed God for the plague of the hail, because the plague was so severe. Each of these waves of judgments ends with an intensifying storm as God unleashes judgment upon the earth. As we work our way and direct our focus to chapter 11 this morning, I will point out to you one thing from chapter 16. Beginning in verse 15. I want to just, just briefly demonstrate to us something about the storm of God's judgment. Chapter 16, verse 15. This is during the sixth seal, the first wave of judgment. Verse 15 says, Then the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? I just want to point out to you the horror of the judgment of God as it is unleashed upon creation. The day of their wrath has come and who can stand? That's echoing the question asked by the prophet Malachi in Malachi 3 verse 2, some of the last words of the Old Testament. He will come. He will come. But who can endure the day of His coming and who can stand when He appears? That is the question. God's judgment will be intense and universal and unending. It will include economic environmental, social, and physical chaos, pain, and devastation, unlike anything that we have seen. Chapter 8, verse 1 tells us, When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, 
there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. This is not some kind of intermission. This is everything in heaven itself screeching to a halt. And this silence of awe over what has been and over what is about to be. The horror of the judgment of God is complete. It is true. We can't ignore it. We can't hide from it. We must pay attention to it. And now I catch up with you in Revelation 11, verse 15. We'll simply look briefly at the seventh trumpet. We could have looked at several passages, but we'll look at this one, and from this we'll just point out a few things about the judgment of God. Verse 15 of chapter 11 says, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Hear that from Handel's Messiah? Remember? And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. Well, the nations raged, but your wrath came. And the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. Simply point out this morning that the judgment of God, this storm of his judgment, will be final. And when Jesus comes, to rule and to reign, he shall reign how long? Forever and ever. Those are interesting words. Do you know what they mean? Forever and ever, without end, he shall reign. We're also told later in chapter 14, verse 11, that the torment, the punishment of those that receive his judgment goes on just as long, forever and ever. His judgment is final. There will be no appeal. Oh, there will be anger. There will be rebellion and hatred and fear, but there'll be no appeal. There will be the silence of awe and of assent. There will be the songs of worship and surrender, but there will be no appeal. His judgment will be final. His judgment is right. His judgment is right. Chapter 15 tells us this. They sing, verse 3, they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying this, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Your righteous acts have been revealed. Look at chapter 16, verse 5. I heard an angel in charge of the waters saying, this is during the bold judgments, just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. Just are you for bringing these judgments. 
For they have shed the bloods of saints, the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The judgment of God will be final, and the judgment of God is right. Here there are times where we hear about and read judgments that are pronounced and given. And they can be uncertain, they can be ineffective, they can be wrong, they can be inadequate, but that will not be the case with the judgments of God. The judgments of God will be complete and accurate and appropriate. God, who knows all, every sin, by every person, in every place, at every time, God who is perfect, perfect in His character, God who is holy, who is eternal, who Himself is truth and the standard of what is right and wrong, He who is all-wise and just will judge with absolute clarity and precision. The, The judgment of God is certain. No power can prevent it, avoid it, or delay it. It will include things like famine and plagues and animals and sun and moon and stars. God's call for judgment will not go unanswered. Simply remind us this morning that the book of Revelation as you read through it, cover to cover, reminds us that the second key we have to understand if we're going to understand this book and understand life itself is that there is a storm coming. The storm of God's judgment. That leads us this morning to the question, how do we face such a storm? How do we face such a storm? Whenever hurricane warnings go out in the U.S., are you ever interested by all the varied responses that are given? Hurricane warnings are given, and there are people who rush to the beach to ride the waves of the storm. There are people who rush the beach with their cameras to record the intensity of the storm because it's, it's neat, it's entertaining, it's, it's, it's interesting to look at. There are people who rush into the storm with their gadgets and their computers to measure and describe in detail and, and to examine and, and research the details of the storm. There are also people, when the hurricane warnings go out, who board up their houses and then stock up their houses and then defy the authorities and the warnings and the storm itself and say, bring it on, I can take it. Many of whom never live to regret it. But there's another group when the storm warnings are given. These are the wise people. These are the ones who live, say, in Miami. And when the, when the hurricane's coming, what do they do? They listen to the warnings. They put the kids in the car, and they drive inland and north. They hear the warnings, and they heed the warnings. They take action. That puts them in the best position to face the storm. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 7, if you will. Revelation is not the only place Jesus speaks of the storm of judgment. He also speaks of this very thing in Matthew chapter 7. 
If you are here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, I just remind you that the book of Revelation is about Jesus. The whole book of Scripture, the Bible, is about Jesus. Life as his creation is about Jesus. We need to listen to him when he says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. I urge you this morning, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, the only way you can prepare to face the storm, the sure and certain promised storm of God's judgment that will come on the day of His timing, His choosing, the only way is to listen to Jesus and prepare now. And if you listen to the words of Jesus here, you'll see that it's not just hearing His words that makes the difference. In fact, the hearing of His words made no difference. It didn't matter how long these people had been in church or how many times they'd read through the book of Revelation in one sitting. It's not the hearing of His words that made no difference at all. What was the difference? It was what they did having heard His words. The ones who, who heard His words and then did them, surrendered to Him and obeyed Him, they are the ones whose lives are founded, grounded, rooted in the rock, solid, on the only foundation that will last, and that is Jesus Himself. But the ones who heard His words and then just carried on doing their own thing, building their own life their own way, they thought they were fine because they'd listened to the words. But they did not surrender. They did not submit and they did not obey. And when the storm of judgment came for them, it was over. It was over. That's the warning of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7. He says we must surrender to Him and obey Him, not just hear His words. Those words are repeated in James chapter 1 where we're told we have to be doers of the Word, not just hearers, because if we're only hearers of the Word, we're deceiving ourselves into thinking we're okay. But Jesus said we've got to do them in order to be rooted and grounded on the rock. And so I join with the Apostle Paul this morning. We join with the Apostle Paul this morning in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 where we're reminded that we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Don't try to reconcile yourself to God. That cannot be done. But come to Him and be reconciled. How? He has done it. For our sake, He made Him, Jesus, to become sin. He who knew no sin. No rebellion of God, not even a hint. And yet He took on us, on Himself, our rebellion, our sin. For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in Him, we might now become the righteousness of Christ, of God. 
Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, at a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. This is the time to respond to the grace and mercy of God extended to us through his son Jesus. So we plead with you, we urge you, on behalf of Christ, who gave himself and paid the price already for your rebellion against God. He says, come and allow me to be the one to pay the judgment that was coming for you. And you come and stand before God, not on your own merits, but on mine, in my righteousness before him. Come and have your life your soul rooted in the rock. That's the invitation of Jesus. You might be here today and you say, Steve, when I see it, I'll respond. When it comes and I see it, I will repent then. Oh, my friend. No. No, you won't. How do I know that? First of all, it will be too late. And secondly, the Bible tells us that. In chapter 6 of Revelation, we're told that when, when these judgments start unfolding on the earth, what do people do? They hide in the caves, in the mountains. And they call out, hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of the wrath has come and who can stand? They don't repent. They just say, hide us from him. Get us out of here. Protect us from this. Revelation chapter 9, verse 20 tells us the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood which cannot see or hear or walk nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Even though the judgments of God are unfolding upon them, there's no repentance. Finally, we're told in chapter 16, Verse 9, with the fourth bowl of God's judgment, the final and most intense of the waves of judgment, when the fourth bowl is poured out, what happens? They were scorched by the fierce heat and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. Shortly after that, the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and its kingdom was plunged into darkness and people gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and their sores. They did not repent of their deeds. You cannot say, I'll repent when it comes. It will be too late and your hard, rebellious heart will implode in intensified rebellion against God. Maybe you say, Steve, you're just trying to control me and stop my fun. No. No. I'm not. This isn't about me. This is about you and the day that each of us stands before God himself. This is about you and each of us when Jesus returns and brings this storm of judgment with him. That's what this is about. British evangelist Rico Tice tells the story of traveling to Australia 
visiting a friend there. And this friend in Australia was touring him around and showing him all these different places. And he was loving soaking up Australia. And he said he took him to a beach on Botany Bay. And he said, here we were at this beach on Botany Bay in Australia. And he said, I, I, I said to myself, Rico, you're going for a swim. And he said, I left my friend and I started walking towards the water and I'm peeling off my shirt. He said, my friend ran over and said, Rico, what are you doing? He said, I looked at him and said, we're here at Botany Bay. I'm going for a swim. I'm going for a swim. He said, well, what about these signs behind you? And he said, I turned and I looked at these signs that I hadn't really seen before. And they were spread out all over the place. And he said, they only had two words. Danger. Sharks. He says, with all the confidence of an Englishman abroad, I said, don't be ridiculous, I'll be fine. And his friend grabbed his shoulders and looked him in the eye and said, listen, mate, 200 Australians have died in shark attacks. You've got to decide whether those shark signs are there to save you or to ruin your fun. You're of age. You decide. And his friends started walking down the beach. Enrico said, I looked into my friend's eyes. I heard what he said. I looked back at the signs and I put on my shirt as I ran to catch up. I did not go for a swim, he said. He goes on to write, Many of the words about hell and judgment in the Bible are straight from the lips of Jesus. And people hate that, and they say, see, God is just angry and hates us. No, 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 these words are a loving warning to us. The reason Jesus talked about these things is because he didn't want people to have to face it. The reason Jesus died was that people wouldn't have to go there. The only way to get to hell is to trample over the cross of Jesus. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, I urge you. I urge you to reconsider. If you're here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus, I remind you that the book of Revelation is here to strengthen the church in days of difficulty in a hostile environment. And as we read through, yes, even these chapters on the judgments of God, they should bring peace and comfort and assurance to us. First and foremost, because we are reminded, as we saw last week with the throne, that God is in control. God is in control. Secondly, we read in chapter 6, verse 11, that those of his people who are martyred, who are killed for following Jesus, will be avenged and vindicated one day. We can also be encouraged, because as we read in chapter 8, Verse 3 and 4, another angel came, this is with the seventh seal, another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne and the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. And God's people say, Right there, 
even at the time of judgment, right there, the prayers of God's people make it to the very throne room of heaven. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. There is also a level of protection at times. In chapter 9, verse 4, with the fifth trumpet, they were told, these beasts that were sent out, they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. There is a time during these judgments where God's people are given a, a measure of protection at times through it. And yet even then, chapter 13, verse 9 and 10 tell us this. Satan gives his power to this beast, this man who will come and he will seek to destroy anything and everything holy and righteous and to do with Jesus. He says, if anyone has an ear, oh, by the way, let's back up. Authority was given to it over every tribe and people and language and nation and all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. That means the only people who will not worship the beast are those who are followers of Jesus. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Whatever is to come, whatever we're called to endure, what does he say? With white knuckles and focused hearts, we cling to the Lamb, Jesus our Savior. We come to Him and we even, even as we read through all of this, we find peace and comfort and assurance because God is in control and He is here to help and the ultimate rescue of His people will take place and He can be trusted. And so we cling to Him and trust Him. Amen? And I end this morning where I did last week. I think. Second Peter 3. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to His promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. What are we to be? Who are we to be? What are we to be doing as we wait and call out to God for the day of His coming? We're the people of holiness who live lives that honor Him here and now, every day, in every situation. We're to be people of rescue with the other hand who reach out to help and share the good news that there is rescue available. The nail-pierced hand of God offering mercy and grace is extended to us even yet here today. We point out that rescue. People say, how do we speed its coming here? Jesus said in Matthew 24, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all the earth and then the end will come. We take the good news to others. Just a word to us here today living in our part of the world. As followers of Jesus, we can be easily distracted and have our attention diverted. 
It is a good thing. It is a decent thing. It is a proper and responsible thing to care for this planet, to look after the environment. Yes, use your recycle box. Yes, give thought to your ways and the impact of your actions and choices. Of course, that is responsible as we look at the planet that God gave us to live on. He created it to be inhabited by us. However, however, don't place your hope, your efforts, your dreams, and all your attention on the environment and ignore the inhabitants. Because we are told that eventually the environment is gone and will be made new. It doesn't mean we abuse it or neglect it now, but it means we do keep in mind that people, from the moment of conception onwards, human beings are eternal beings. And eternity hangs in the balance. Can you imagine being in your backyard and your cell phone goes with one of those warnings that most of you get. I don't seem to get any on my phone, but your cell phone goes and you find there's a tornado warning. And you turn and you look up and, and along the, black, the back, black sky and behind you coming in the direction of your home, you see a funnel cloud. Can you, can you imagine saying, here it comes, and then frantically rushing around your yard trying to finish raking the leaves and putting the lawn chairs away instead of running down the block to rescue your young children from the park and bring them into the basement. You would say, what kind of a fool would do that? Oh, no, well, I, I, I need to clean up my yard. I don't want a bigger mess later. And besides, the kids are having fun. They're not about to be. The kids won't believe that there's a storm coming. What has that got to do with anything? You're the one with the truth. Take it to them. Take it to them. Friends, God's storm of judgment is coming. The two questions we must ask are, number one, am I safe on the rock? If your life is not grounded in Jesus himself, in repentance and faith in him, in surrendering to him because of the Lord that he is and what he's done, I warn you, I plead with you, and I urge you, here, now, in these days, come and be made right with God the only way you can on his terms through his son. It's not enough to hear. We need to act. If you have questions about that, anything you want to debate or discuss or talk about, talk to me at the door. Slip me a note. Call the church. Send us an email. We'll take time this week and we'll sit down and as long as it takes, we'll just sit and we'll, we'll talk about this. The second question is this. If you are safe on the rock, then brothers and sisters, I ask you this morning, are you people of peace and comfort and assurance as you face the future? And if so, as you look around to the people around you, are you also people of obedience to the message and mission we've been given and people of compassion to those who need to know there is hope, there is help, rescue is available.